There is only one opportunity that God has given mankind to know his sins are forgiven. And that's a harsh truth. Some of you may remember Warren. He's been here on several occasions. He lives way, way down in the bottom of Brooklyn. But we've I couldn't tell you how many hours he spent on the phone and just before Warren trusted the Lord, this was his last obstacle to getting saved. He said, Pastor, if I admit that Jesus is the only way, I'm, I'm making a statement that my father, my mother, all my aunts, all my uncles, all my great uncles, all my grandparents, everybody I know is in hell. Now, there's no comfort you can give somebody when they finally realize that all of this religion that they've had for generation after generation, a, a religion that actually bases itself upon the Word of God, cannot get you to heaven. And the only answer I had was, Warren, I can't, I can't answer for generations in your family. But here's the, here's the issue you must deal with. Are you going to reject Christ? Or are you going to accept Christ? That's the only question you can deal with. And praise the Lord, Warren did accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. You see, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 Remember to whom the apostles are talking. They're talking to the descendants of Aaron. They're talking to the priest. They're talking to the sons of those that had offered those sacrifices from the days of Moses down to the present day. With some interruption, of course, as the children of Israel carried into Babylon for 70 years. But here is what... uh, They said here in verse 9, he said, If we be this day examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So, here Peter is speaking to the priest. Every year on the Day of Atonement, they would take the sacrifice And they would sprinkle the blood of a bullock for the priest and then the blood of a baby goat for the nation of Israel. Now, the truth of the matter was, is that in the temple that was in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, do you know what was in the most holy place? Just a white marble slab. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. It had disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem in 600 B.C. and had not been there ever since. When they set up the temple of Zerubbabel, everything was there but the ark. And the ark contained the the tables of stone written with the finger of God and on top of the ark was a covering. It was one piece of solid gold. We know it as the mercy seat. You see, is it a blood-sprinkled mercy seat that God's justice was satisfied? Every one of these priests understood this. This is what they did. This was their whole life. This was everything about them. And here is the Apostle Peter, obviously, 
an uneducated man as far as education, never been to the Pharisee school, never been to the Sadducee, never had any formal training. Oh, excuse me. What's that next verse say? But they took notice that they had been with Jesus. They got all the formal training they needed. They got all the scripture that they needed to be prepared to explain the gospel message, to teach the truth. And here they are standing before the people who should have been first in line to believe Jesus as their Savior. And the statement simply is this. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We live in a world full of religion. I just got a phone call the other day. Uh, some fellow said, oh, we're coming. God has called me to start a church in Astoria. I said, really? He said, you don't sound encouraged. I said, you know what? I just finished teaching a class on church planning. I said, you can go to the Queen's Line and drive the whole way to Orient Point. And there's not a good church that I know of the whole way out all those miles. I said, if you wanted to start church out there, I, I said, I might be excited about that. I said, because there's places, so many places that don't have anything. And of course, his church will have nothing to do with ours. We're not rock and roll for Jesus and all those other things that are there. It's rather discouraging. But you have to understand something. There's only one way of salvation. In our conversation, I mentioned the name Billy Graham. Oh, yeah, the greatest evangelist that ever lived was his statement. I said, you don't understand your Bible very well then, do you? Because he's probably the single most man that has, the single man that has given more people a false hope of salvation than any other man in modern history. That's a tragedy. I said, and if you know your Bible at all, I said, you know what I'm saying is absolutely true. And he's like, well, um, uh, yeah, I, you, you know. Listen, if you're going to help people find the truth, you got to give them the truth. And truth is not always something nice. If I had some disease that could be treated, I want the doctor to tell me, listen, you've got this problem. We're going to have to do surgery. I remember what they told my pastor, Brother Thompson, first time he had leukemia. They said, listen, we believe we can treat this. If we don't treat it, it says you're going to be dead in, in four weeks. He said, we're going to take you to the very edge of death and we're going to bring you back. And they did. And he lived another six or eight years serving the Lord and preaching. And, and uh, I'm so glad that he did that. It was, it was during those last few years that I actually got to know him better than any other time in my life. And, and uh, he was a great influence here at our church, I believe. But you see... If you're not going to be honest with people, how are you going to win them to the Lord? If you're not going to give them the truth, there is no other name. There's only one name that will gain you entrance to heaven. And that is the name of Jesus. And you have to remember, he was talking to the people who knew the Bible better than any other living people on the face of the earth. And yet they were so far removed from salvation. And so, what we have to understand here, just because someone's religious doesn't mean they're saved. Uh, the young man made the say, well, we all serve the same God, and we all have the same thing, we all have the same Bible. I said, no, we don't. I said, you don't have the same Bible I do. Oh, well, we use the ESV. I said, yeah, I, I, I know you use something. Uh, I said, but that's not a Bible. Oh, oh, you're one of those King James only guys. Yeah, yeah, that's us. 
you see, we don't have the same Bible. And we don't serve the same God. If your God is one of those gods that just looks and understands that everybody's a sinner and it's all okay, that's not the God of the Bible. Religion cannot get you to heaven. And by the way, somebody once accused me, they were really upset at me, and said, you only think Baptists are going to heaven. And of course, my favorite answer is, absolutely not. There's a lot of Baptists that aren't going to heaven. You have to understand, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Your religious involvement is not going to get you to heaven. The number one reason people will miss heaven is not because they love sin more than they love God. It's because they love their own religion more than they're willing to love Jesus Christ. And as we witness, we have to understand, it's hard. There are no other alternatives. There's no other way around. And, of course, the first objection to this is, what about the aborigines? And my favorite statement is always, yeah, what about them? Well, they've never heard the gospel. They haven't had a missionary. They haven't had outside involvement in 3,000 years of history. Oh, you've been around 3,000 years. You can verify that. Because the aborigines have no written history. There's no way to verify anything that has happened more than a uh, hundred or so years because the only history they have is an oral history. You know what? You and I lack the information to make that judgment. And if I have to trust National Geographic or some anthropologist versus trusting the character of God, who it says is willing that all should come to repentance, I'll trust God. Instead of your thought processes. And by the way, are you going to let the fact that the aborigines don't know send you to hell? Are you going to use that as an excuse for you to reject the truth that is so plainly set before you? So, we have to understand religion. And one of the reasons why I constantly talk about the ideas of false religion is we live in a world where people just want to say, everything's okay. Everything's not okay. We are living in a powder keg, is the old phrase used to be. How many of you know, even know what black powder is? You know, it's amazing, the, all the movies, they have this room full of black powder and a guy goes in there with a lantern. Uh, you'd only do that once. One spark. It's not gun, gun, the old black powder was so unstable that you couldn't take any kind of spark or any kind of light into the room. The hinges in the door were made out of copper because copper doesn't generate sparks. You could blow the ship up just by opening the door. That's how dangerous that stuff is. And, and it never, I always laugh. You see the guy walking into the powder room. That would have been the end of everything. In any near distance, if you ever have opportunity to go to Delaware, they have the DuPont powder factory that goes back to the colonial times almost. And it was one of the first manufacturers of gunpowder. And guess what would happen? Even in the plant where they were making the black powder, they would mix it with water and it would still blow up and kill uh, many of the workers. One of the most dangerous things. That's why we have what is called smokeless today. It's a whole different form of uh, powder and it's not near as dangerous and it doesn't explode and all these things. And uh, not quite sure why we chased that rabbit the whole way down there. But, uh, you know, people want their own way to God. You can't find it. 
it's only one. There's only one way. Religion will not help you. Let's go to John 14.6. A verse, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to have it memorized. John 14.6. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He simply says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I hardly read that verse or quote it, and I don't think of a group of preachers. This is probably about, well, they're not preachers. Uh, they called themselves ministers uh, years ago, and they had come up with a, uh, a system of which they were going to purify the New Testament because they believed that most of the sayings that were attributed to Jesus really didn't come from Jesus. Uh, they came from his disciples. And, uh, and, of course, this verse was number one on their list to take out of the Bible. You know why? Because you just can't get around the words. You, you can't change the meaning of this verse, no matter what you do. So the only way to subvert it is to say, Jesus never said that. His disciples were trying to make him more dogmatic and more of a preacher than Jesus actually was. And anybody who would make that statement is so, uh, how, how shall we put this? Uh, can I go back to my favorite little cliche? You've got to have help to be that stupid. Somebody's got to train you. Uh, that doesn't come by accident. You've got to go to school and be taught. You have to learn how to be that devoid of knowledge. And so these, uh, Jesus, as he was speaking to the disciples, he's telling them, let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, you know the way. And the disciples were going, Lord, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. If we don't know where you're going, how in the world do we know the way? And Jesus said very simply, he said, I'm the way. Do you know me? If you know me, you know the way. If you follow me, you're going to get where I am. Isn't it amazing that a huge percentage of the population of the world, I believe Islam finally in the last four or five years boasts more people to, to be adherents to Islam than all the different types of Christianity. And, and I still question uh, that statistic because we as independent Baptists refuse to be counted by anybody. And, and that's a pretty standard uh, uh, characteristic. If somebody calls up and says, we're, we're trying to tabulate Christian churches. I say, I don't want to be on your website. Because I know who else is on that website. That's not us. And so, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, that's, that is an absolutely true statistic even today. That there are more adherents to Islam than Christianity. If it is, it's only happened in the last few years. But, most of those Christians who call themselves Christians, don't have Jesus Christ. Isn't that a tragedy? As we are witnessing to people, as we give the gospel, and this is what I mean by the gospel being offensive. How many of you know religious people? But I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I was baptized a Christian when I was a little baby. And they hold on to that. And yet, they never embrace Jesus. How can you get to be where Jesus is unless you follow Jesus? And even many of these different Christian groups, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox alike, use their difference is to persecute those who don't believe in Jesus. Now, how, I mean, who 
believe in Jesus, let alone those who don't. It's, it's a tragedy. There are no other religions. There are no other gods. There is no other way. If you're going to be where Jesus is, ought not to follow Jesus. By the way, I always throw this in. What do you know about Jesus that you didn't read in this book called the Bible? Just answered the question. You see, if you're going to witness to somebody, you got to get them back to the Word. You got to get them back to the Bible. And our faith is not a subjective faith. It's not something that you feel. It's not something that, oh, I'm convinced of it. No. The Bible is not true because you get convinced. Uh, you cannot add to the truth of the Scripture. The Bible is true no matter what you feel about it. And we need to understand that there is no Nothing else. Let's go to the next passage, 1 Peter chapter 1. And again, this is a familiar passage. You ought to mark these uh, passages down in your Bible so that you can turn there and read them to people as, as you're trying to, to witness to them. And 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, verse 21, Who by him do believe in God that raised up, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, this is Peter, and he's explaining. He said, listen... You believed in God through Jesus Christ, through His resurrection. That's how you got saved. As you got saved, you were given the Holy Spirit and you obeyed the truth of the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't do it on your own. Amen? And what is that chief evidence? That you're going to love other believers. That you're going to love the brethren. You're going to love people that believe in Jesus Christ. And as you do that, you have to understand that you're born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, let me just chase this little one here. Uh, several years back, about ten years ago or so, somebody came up with an idea that... Uh, uh, I believe the King James Bible is the inerrant Word of God. We make no apology for that. But they said, if somebody led you to the Lord with anything but a King James Bible, you're not saved. Now that I don't believe. There, There is enough gospel in an NIV. Now you've got to look for it hard. Sorry. That's why I don't like the NIV. Uh, but that incorruptible seed is Jesus Christ because He lives and abides forever. Now, do you have any excuse to use any other Bible in the English language in the King James? Absolutely not. You don't. Uh, we, we do not use it for study. We do not use them for anything. In fact, every once in a while, somebody will bring one in and say... Uh, Pastor, I don't think you like this very much. This is, uh, and it's some other version. I'll say, yeah, that's right. 
What do I do? Well, give it to me. We'll take care of it. I'm not going to tell you what we do with it, but we take care of it. Amen? Uh, Because it's no good. It's not going to help you. But if somebody comes up and says, were you led to the Lord out of a King James Bible and starts arguing with you whether you're saved or not, we'll get that in, into that. And that's not what this passage is talking about. It's Jesus that does the saving. Amen? That's what this passage is talking about because everything else is temporary. How many of you have ever done something really good? I mean, God used you to do something good. Only one? Come on. The Lord's used you in your... How many... How many times has somebody else remembered that good thing? Yeah. That's what the next verse is talking about. Everything that we do, everything that we touch fades away. It's going to disappear. It's not going to last. So how in the world do you think you're going to prepare for eternity with non-eternal things? This is how you witness to people. This is how you shock them into understanding that what they can do. And and by the way, I, I don't believe you're going to have this conversation as you're walking down the street passing out tracks on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be hard to get into this type of conversation with someone. What we're talking about here is people that you know, people that you can talk to on a repeated basis. That, that's how you win people to the Lord. It takes time. It takes effort. Because God has to change people from the inside out. This brother here said he prayed for 10 years. It it takes time for God's Word to do its work in the human soul. Don't ever give up praying for your loved ones. Don't ever stop talking. But if you're going to talk, give them Bible. Tell them about Jesus. Give them Scripture. I remember talking to one guy. I pulled my Bible out of my back pocket. He said, oh, don't get that out. I said, well, do you mind if I quote it? Oh, well, yeah, you can quote it. Okay. Because if you won't let me give you a Bible, we have nothing to talk about. Because that's how you get saved. Now, let's go to one more passage and we'll try to, to finish this part of the lesson up. Uh, Let's go to Titus chapter 3. You see, there are no other alternatives, no other religion, no other God, no other way. Not by things of this earth, not by anything that is temporary can we prepare for eternity. If you're going to be prepared for eternity, you must have something eternal to prepare for eternity. Word of God. It's the only thing that works. Amen? And so let's go to Titus chapter 3, and I wish we had time to spend the whole night on this one passage, but we're going to move through it fairly quickly. Verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you ever forget that you were once a sinner, you'll never witness to anybody. You've got to remember. Now, that doesn't mean... That you remember your old sins. Oh, nothing grieves my spirit more than someone getting up and saying, well, I, I was a drunkard and I did this. And they name all these horrible things that they did. And then at the end, but Jesus saved me. I, I don't like that kind of testimony. The greatest testimony you can have is living daily for Christ. 
The only problem is that doesn't make headlines, does it? People don't go, ooh, wow. I showed up to church every service this past week. That's a good testimony. That's the kind of testimony we're looking for. By the way, that's the kind of testimony that will influence people you know for the truth of the gospel. Amen? You see, I was once a sinner. As an 11-year-old boy, I didn't have the opportunity to involve myself in many things that the world has to offer. Because my dad had killed me. Amen? I had the good kind of parents that kept me in the way. But you know what? I still had pride. That's the greatest sin of all. I prayed and prayed and prayed, asking God to save me. Why? Because I thought my prayers were what saved me. It wasn't until I stopped trying and just said, God, I give up. I ask you to save me. That's when he saved me. You have to surrender to Jesus Christ and nothing else. Amen? Now, let's go down through the rest of this. You see, we're justified by His grace. Then we're made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's verse 7. Now, verse 8, here's where good works come in. You see, if someone says, I'm doing the best I can and I'm trying to to please God, this is the passage you take them to. Titus chapter 3. Good works are meaningless until after you're saved. Did we get that? Good works don't do you a bit of good until after you're saved. Because all they generate before you're saved is pride. Isn't that true? You see, once you're saved, then you have to be careful to maintain good works. Because you're now a part of God's family. You need to act like it. That's why he wants you to get baptized. Amen? To publicly testify that I'm a member of his family. Now that you're baptized, you ought to live differently than the people who do in the world. Nobody ought to catch you smoking a cigarette or sticking a bottle of beer in your pocket. That, that's behavior that doesn't belong to the children of God. They shouldn't catch you bebopping to rock and roll music and, all, and country music too. The words of that stuff is just as bad as the other stuff is. You know, up here, it's all rock and jazz and all that kind of stuff. And people love that music. And uh, you go out in the Midwest and, you're, you're not going to take my country music. I, I'm an American. Uh, let me tell you something. It's just as filthy as the other stuff is. In fact, more so. Because you can understand the words. <laughs> Listen, we have to be careful to maintain good works. And here's where it says here. These things are profitable. Now there's some things we need to avoid. Foolish questions. How many of you have ever tried to witness to somebody and they came up with a foolish question? I I want to know where Cain got his wife. Foolish question. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons or not? Foolish question. They actually do this. And when I took the asbestos class, the preacher, uh, the preacher, yeah, the professor uh, found out I was a preacher. I'd said something. And so he brought up whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons or not. He's trying to be spiritual. And if that's all he can do, God's only going to help his soul. I mean, he's... Just a mess. But that's, that's where the world is. Foolish questions. There are so many of them out there. The Bible says avoid them. You know what? 
is it really going to determine whether you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior if you knew where Cain got his wife? If you knew the identities of, of, of the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, is that going to help you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? No, it's not. So let's just leave that alone. Let's not worry about those things. Genealogies. I want to be careful here. There's lots of genealogies out there. If you pick up a history book, they'll name every pope all the way back to Peter. And the list is there. The names are there. And these people really lived. Some of them were Baptist preachers like Peter was. Uh, uh, but is that succession an honest succession? And I've often asked this question. In 285, under the reign of Diocletian, uh, probably the most brutal persecutor uh, of all of the Roman Caesars, he would send his legions in and kill every living thing in a town because Christians were there. That's the kind of guy he was. Do you think somebody was running around Rome while Diocletian was sitting on the throne saying, I'm the Pope in charge of all the Christian churches and they all listen to me. How long do you think he'd be alive? That long. That's the kind of, So that history, that genealogy... Is ridiculous. I believe that Jesus started his church. And I believe that since the days Jesus walked the face of the earth, that there's always been at least one Bible believing Baptist. I believe in Baptist perpetuity. But I don't believe in Baptist genealogy. Because I met a guy in Xenia, Ohio in 1986 who had the genealogy of his church traced all the way back from 1986 to John the Baptist. Now, there were some problems with this genealogy. There was a hole of about 900 years in one spot and 1,100 years in another spot. But here is the real problem. He was believe that Jesus only died for the people that get saved. You know what? Jesus never taught that. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. And I, and I was just a young guy, just out of Bible college, and uh, fortunate for this man, and probably for me too, uh, that I was much more shy in those days than I am today. Uh, but I, I did tell him this. I said, I don't understand this. You tell me you have a first century genealogy, but you have a medieval theology. I said, what happened to all those 1,500 years before John Calvin came along to give you your doctrine? I said, we got a problem here. You see, genealogy doesn't prove a thing. That's why we don't have it. It is historically impossible to generate a generation-by-generation generation genealogy. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can open up my Bible and go back to the first century, and we have documents of men who preached from 100 A.D. And you know what we find? They agreed with this book called the Bible. And we can go to every century. And there's some unexplainable things. We have a group called the um, uh, Petrobusians. They were Peterites, is what they called themselves. And they were heretics. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ had come in physical form. Total heretics. But in the very same area where the Petrobusians were very prevalent, 200 years later, came along another group called the Paulinsians, who were absolutely correct in their doctrine. Now, you know what that tells me? This is just my opinion. The Petrobusians didn't start out as heretics. They started out as Bible believers. And they moved from true doctrine. 
But that seed of truth was still there in that area and it was picked up and it stayed underground for several generations until the old heretics died off and then the true believers who were always there all along came up and took their place. Now, you can call that wishful thinking on the part of a Baptist preacher if you want, but that history has borne itself out in many different times in many different places. You see, God's truth is always there. His church has never been prevailed against. The devil has never stole one soul from Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, avoid genealogies. Avoid contentions. Now, this is hard. Because any time you try to tell somebody the truth, they want to argue with you about it. But you know what I found out? That if somebody wants to believe the truth... They may knock at it a couple of times. They may shake the uh, the rails. They may say some pretty crazy things and, and trying to decide what is true. But if they believe the truth, they're going to stop arguing and they're going to start being apart. But you know, I know some other people, they just can't stop arguing. There's always got to be some new thing to argue about. You know what the Bible says? That is the mark of someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And it says you avoid them. And I've often, I've I've told several of those people through the years, listen, we don't argue about things at our church. We are here because we agree on doctrine. And if you've got an issue, if you've got a problem, something you don't understand, hey, Let's get at it. Let's talk about that thing. Let's open the Bible. But once you've been presented with the truth and you reject it, you know, that door does open both ways. Well, actually, you can go both ways through the doorway, but the hinges only swing one direction. And uh, don't, don't swing the door the other direction. That's a very expensive door. Amen? Uh, but... The truth is, we need to avoid strivings about the law. We've had some people visit our church that the most important thing to them was whether women should wear a head covering or not. I said, man, if that's the most important thing to you, go join the Mennonites. They, they still have those things. We're, we're not interested in arguing about that. That has not been a part of our culture For years, but I'll tell you what still is a part of our culture. Leadership in the church ought to be men. That's what the Bible teaches. But you know something, ladies? If you don't follow, who are we leading? If you're not a willing participant of what's going on, how are we moving forward? Does that make sense to everybody? You see, that's what this is talking about. Strivings about the law. Whether it's this or that, or this little thing, or that little nitpicky thing. You know, God, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gave us the paradigm or the way to deal with that. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, right? What did Jesus say? Thou shalt not hate. Isn't that what he said? He said, if you hate your brother... He said, you're in danger of God's judgment. You've committed murder already in your heart. You know what the Bible says? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Thou shalt not lust. You know what Jesus did? He judged us all guilty, did he not? And we need to get on our knees before Christ. And that will stop the nitpicking. You see, the Bible says, as we're given the gospel... Every once in a while, you'll find somebody that's just, they just got to argue about everything. Brother Newberger and I have run into a few there, and I've told him, I said, Brother Newberger, you don't, as badly as you need members, you don't need that. Uh, That's never going to help your church. You see, the Bible tells us to avoid these things. 
and when you've presented the truth here, here's what it says. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. You see, you're to avoid certain things, but you are to obviously reject certain things. Um, I'll tell you, nothing gets my blood up like some young moonies coming into our church, trying to pass themselves off as teachers of the truth. I mean, there is not such a bunch of witless, brainless people devoid of any truth of the gospel than the moonies are. Unless you're following Harold Camping. But, uh, I mean, you just can't get any farther out than those nutcases. And the one came in and he said, we, we got Sunday school material here we'd like. And I said, I want to uh, see the book. I want to see who publishes it. And he wouldn't tell me. So I knew something was up his sleeve. And uh, so I get flipping through. And finally, in fine print in one of the back pages, Unification Church. I said, you're a bunch of moonies, aren't you? Well, we wouldn't call ourselves that. I said, get out of this church. I said, we have no need for any of that foolishness here. Anybody who would claim that Jesus failed at what he was doing and was stupid enough to pick some young moon to straighten it out. You know, I don't mind being offensive to heretics. And we had a member of our church, some of you may remember Jerry Boyle, uh, he said, Pastor, where are they? He loved to fight. <laughs> and the Lord had him out of here for a reason, because he would, have, he would have helped him out the front door physically and thought he was doing service for God. That's, that's not the way we work. You, you don't have to touch him. Donald Trump could learn some lessons. Amen. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the politics just sleep in every once in a while. You, you just don't have to do these things. Reject. You know what? They haven't been back in a very long time. But they'll come back because the heretics keep coming back. They just do. I don't try to straighten out heretics anymore. Because of Proverbs chapter 28, it says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And the next verse says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. Lest thou be like, also like unto him. And so if you're talking to a fool, and by the way, a heretic and a fool are equal terms, you lose. You either end up looking as stupid as he is, or he wins the conversation and he thinks he's smarter than you are. Either way, you lose. That's why the Bible says, reject. Listen, I have nothing to say to you. If you really want to hear the truth of the Bible, you can come in, sit in the church, keep your mouth shut, and listen until you've heard enough Bible to flush all that foolishness out of your system. If that's not what you're interested in, uh, there are other places for you to go. This is not one of them. And in our witnessing for people, we have to understand something. There's only one way to heaven, that's Jesus. That's hard. That's terrifying because we all know people who are trusting in something else to get them to heaven, don't we? We all know people who will not listen to the truth of Jesus Christ. You want to get them to listen to the truth? This passage has the answer. You be careful to maintain good works in your life after you're saved. That's going to be your platform to witness to your unsaved people that you know, that God brings you into contact with. There are no other ways. By the way, the heretic condemns himself. That's what the last verse here, verse 11, knowing that he is such, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of Himself. You listen to them talk long enough. They'll tell you what they really believe. It's interesting. Almost every Orthodox Christian I've ever witnessed to in Astoria, Greek Orthodox, will finally 
talk about this and that and finally get to the point. I said, well, you know, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, founded the church. Oh, yes. And then the next step is back to the Greek philosophers. Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. Men who are totally bereft of any knowledge of God whatsoever. You talk to any person who is really into their orthodox faith, they will always end up at the Greek philosophers. And what a godless group they were. How, how perverse can you get? And I've often warned you, don't study Greek mythology. It is filthy beyond your imagination. And you don't need to know that stuff. I don't know most of it. I don't want to know any more about than I already know. And it'll always end up like this. You know, you need to get rid of your religion and get Jesus. Oh, but I have my religion. What are you holding on to? As you're witnessing to people, it's got to be only Jesus. Amen? No religion. No other ways. No amount of money. Good works don't matter until after you are saved. And all God's people said. I don't know what that was about. Last time that happened, the cable burned up in the street. So, uh, maybe we ought to put that on the prayer list for tonight. Amen? So, um, in witnessing... We've got to give the gospel. It's the word of God that matters. And that's where we are. Okay, let's uh, have just a moment, as we always do, if you need to come and pray. The altar's open. And we'll get right into our prayer time.